Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Friends, please join me as we pray before we read Scripture. God, come now. Send your Spirit to us. Calm the troubled waters of our hearts and minds, and let us hear your word anew. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, hear now from the book of Hebrews, the third chapter, verses 12 through 14. Listen for the word of the Lord. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partners of Christ, if only we hold our first confidence to the end. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall endure forever. Amen. Friends, in these last few months, many of us have been afforded space and time to look at things anew, things we had maybe taken for granted. Our families and friends, our jobs and schools, our priorities and our values. At times, this taking stock has been comforting to us, and at other times, it has been challenging, and at some times, both. For example, there are some parents, I am told, who both relish and take great delight in their children's personalities, and who can at the same time be overwhelmed by them. I'm told, I'm told that's the case. Whatever our discoveries during this time, they have allowed us to reflect on some important things that despite being right before our eyes, have gone unseen by us. It's not only happening for us as individuals, but for us as a country too. Since the public death of George Floyd and that of so many others, We have been forced to look at our institutions and inside ourselves to reckon with the sin of white supremacy, the the belief that white people in white culture are superior to all others and should remain so even if it means oppressing others. Many of us find ourselves wondering how it is that we have missed the enormity of white supremacy all this time. I believe that it is, as our text for today puts it, because of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a silver-tongued scammer that hides its most evil and damaging schemes in the last place that we would think to look. 
in plain sight. Without even noticing, Hebrews tells us sin hardens us to its presence and to one another, making us stubbornly resistant to seeing it or its shadowy presence in our daily lives. Despite tearing our country to shreds, we have failed to notice it at work around us or within us. Now, when you hear the words white supremacy, you might immediately think of white men and white hoods standing around burning crosses, or white men wearing black jackets with swastika patches and goose stepping and black boots. Yes, white supremacists embody white supremacy in its crudest, most obvious form, but white supremacy can be found in our everyday lives. In 2005, writer David Foster Wallace told the graduates of Kenyon College this story. There are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish along the way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and says, what is water? The point of the fish story, Wallace says, is merely that the most obvious important realities are often the ones that are the hardest to see and to talk about. The two young fish hadn't given a moment's thought about what surrounded them, the environment in which they lived and moved, And yet, that water permeated every aspect of their lives. We too are surrounded by water we do not see, the waters of white supremacy in our media, our government, our education systems, our workplaces, our parks, playgrounds, our neighborhoods, and yes, in our churches. This is where we swim, even if we despise it and work against it. This is the sin that deceives and hardens us to one another and to God. This is water. My first indication of the true depths of this water came after nine black Christians were killed at Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina by white 19-year-old Dylan Roof. Dylan believed that it was his job to start a race war with people of color, people who he deemed intellectually and morally inferior to him and all other white people. In 2015, this heinous act sounded alarm bells about the dangers of white supremacist terrorism. But for many of us, it stopped there. We condemned the white supremacist and then went on with our lives. But as David Foster Wallace reminds us, we should look harder for the things that are happening right in front of us. I know the waters in which Dylan Roof moved. We lived just miles away from each other in South Carolina, him in Lexington and me in Chapin where white and black neighborhoods were maintained by strict, though unspoken, boundaries. 
where that kind of segregation is deemed natural. Where Confederate flags surround you on coffee mugs, keychains, t-shirts, hats, and bumper stickers, they fly in front yards and until recently at the state capitol just down the road from both of our houses. Like me, Dylan proudly flew that flag and told everyone that it was about heritage and not hate. He flew his on his license tag. They were special issue in South Carolina at the time. And I, with no sense of irony, flew my Confederate flag right above the bedside table where I kept my Bible. But as teenagers, our lives went in different directions. That's when Dylan got sucked into the deep recesses of white supremacist online chat groups. And I realized that I had to choose between the flag and my Bible. And well, I still have that Bible to this very day. In him, I see a white supremacist, but I also see a guy who along with me and countless others swam in those same waters engulfed in the sinful swell of white supremacy. It is so deceptive. It wants us to see the violence done unto those black Christians at the Mother Emanuel Bible study, but it also wants us to get lost in the chaos and the destruction of that moment. It wants us to view this one incident like a dam bursting, a tragic accident caused by this one lone white supremacist. It doesn't want us to see, much less to grieve, repent, and amend our part in it. Sin does everything it can to deceive us, to blind us to this truth that the waters of white supremacy that burst free that night have been swirling around and within Dylan Roof, within me, you, every single one of us for over 400 years. From the moment the first African person sailed the Atlantic as property of white slaveholders, white supremacy has hidden in plain sight exploiting black, indigenous, and people of color to keep white people and our culture on top, convincing us that that is naturally where we belong. This is the sin of white supremacy, the sin that continues to deceive us as it lives among and within us. It is the dark water that envelops and infects us. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm worried that some of you might be hearing a son of South Carolina talking in this accent about a white supremacist from South Carolina and think that this is all just one big Southern problem. I really do wish that were true. But I need to show you something right here in Johnson County. I'm standing here in Southern Johnson County about 150th Street and Kenneth Road. 
I'm standing beside a very important creek with a very out-of-date name. I'll say it just once, and only so you can look into it for yourself. This is Negro Creek. I saw its name on a map a couple of years ago and wondered about the story behind the name, and I'm grateful to Dr. Trenton Smith, a village member and a historian, who has helped bring this story to us today by spending a lot of time with some very old maps. This creek was a landmark on the path to freedom for enslaved African peoples fleeing slave state Missouri. If they could just make it to Lawrence, a known spot for the Underground Railroad, they would have a real chance for freedom, a real chance to make it to a northern free state. Although Westport offered the most direct route, the slave patrols there made that spot impossible. And Johnson County, though on the Kansas side, was a pro-slavery county. Therefore, anyone they encountered could turn them in for the bounty for a runaway enslaved person. These folks would have to be careful after taking the Blue River south and then following this spur, they would travel for days being careful, most certainly sleeping by day and traveling by night. They would take this creek, this spur off the Blue River west. They would end up about here at 152nd and Antioch Road. From here, they would begin looking for the Santa Fe Trail. Now that trail cuts all throughout Johnson County, but I want to take you to one spot, just a quarter mile north of here, where they may have found the trail. It was right here, across from what is now a village on Antioch that the Santa Fe Trail crossed. Enslaved Africans running for their freedom would take the trail west and then take the Oregon Trail north all the way to Lawrence, and with any luck, make it to a free state where they would be no one's property. Now, some of you are wondering why you don't know about this place or the story behind it. The answer, this is how the sin of white supremacy deceives us. How, like those two young fish, it keeps us from seeing the water all around us. You will find no markers along this creek. It runs along factories and businesses and railroad tracks subdivisions, parks, and even through a golf course. One person told me last week that they walk along this creek every single day and they had no idea that it even had a name, much less a story like this. Our friends, that's exactly white supremacy's M.O. To remain unseen and active, hiding in plain sight all around us. You see, sin won't allow us to tell the story of this creek as a pathway to freedom because that also means we have to tell a much larger story of oppression, a story of land taken and swindled from indigenous peoples, a story of a declaration of independence that said that all men were created equal but didn't really mean it, and a compromise that said, we could count a person with black skin as three-fifths of a person. A story that includes an anemic emancipation, Jim Crow housing covenants and redlining, 
of black teens with Skittles in their hoodies, black women sleeping in their beds, and black men handcuffed and laying face down on the ground, none of them safe in a country whose soil is already soaked through with the blood, sweat, and tears of their ancestors. So friends, when we say on our signs and in our actions that black lives matter, we mean this, that despite 400 years of evidence to the contrary, that they do matter to God, and therefore they should matter to us too. Lives now, lives then, and lives to come. White supremacy deceives us with the lie that this is only a problem in the past or when a teenager gets radicalized. But friends, it shapes our world every day, turning paths for black liberation into water features on golf courses. This is the water in which we swim, but do not see. Our scripture tells us that there are two things we can do to confront the deceptiveness of sin within our institutions and within ourselves. First, it tells us that we must hold on to the certainty that we have been called as Christ's partners to point to who he was and what he did, how he lived, and then with him work for the deliverance of the captives for sight to the blind, and for freedom for the oppressed. This is hard work, so we also must exhort one another, Hebrews says. Exhort one another on any day that ends in Y. That means we must encourage one another and also speak truth to one another. Only then will we see the truth of the sin that deceives us and have the collective courage and strength to confront the white supremacy that has contaminated the water in which we swim for centuries. When the Black Lives Matter protests were just beginning on the plaza in May, I jumped in the deep end of these waters with a protester who came to disrupt it with an assault rifle, slung right there over his shoulder for all of us to see. He was there to intimidate and to reassert the eminence of whiteness over a crowd gathered there to challenge it. That day, I saw the lengths that white supremacy would go to in order to stay on top. With the help of another white ally, I was able to de-escalate that situation and walk him through the crowds to the police peacefully. But there has not been a week when I have not thought about how violently that could have ended, about the look on my wife's face when she had to tell our kids that I wouldn't be home that night or any night. Every March, 
Every demonstration, every protest I have been to since has required me to face that fear. So hear me when I tell you, I get it, this is scary stuff. But friends, when I am surrounded by black, indigenous, and people of color just asking for a fair shake, for justice and peace, I am convicted by the need to see this injustice of white supremacy and do what I can to make this world better, not only today, but tomorrow, because I have two boys at home who deserve that. I am reminded in lament and hope that these same folks need you and me to be courageous right now. They have never reaped white supremacy's benefits like I have, and they have suffered from it and fought against it for far longer than I have. But friends, we are called to be allies in the struggle, to be partners with Christ. And friends, when we embrace that call to be with, we find ourselves walking hand in hand with those who God has made for us to be in unity with, surrounded by waters of justice and streams of righteousness and the baptismal waters of repentance and regeneration. These two are water offered to us by God who calls us to overcome the sin of this world and who is now renewing it day by day with the Son and the Spirit. And to that God be all glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.